Good morning, boys and girls, and welcome to what we're sure will be our greatest year at Rydell. Saturday night will be our first pep rally and bonfire, and I want to see all of you students out there with plenty of... Who remembers their school days? In fact, some of you may still be at school or, or studying. And out of all the things we've discovered since the conception of this podcast is that when education stops, pretty much everything else in society grinds to a halt. When children can't get to school, their parents struggle with their work. The children will fall behind. Their mental health suffers as there is greater stress from social isolation the cancellation of important school events, and the loss of in-person social interactions. Now, as a result of this, schooling has been catapulted into the digital age in order for everyday life to continue. They have adopted different technologies to enable remote learning, and thus exposing the digital divide in our communities. And not to mention, I think we'll all agree, that in these times we live in, the stress our children face is unprecedented. Despite this gloomy picture, there is hope. And that hope comes through people like our guest today, Dr. Karin Jakubowski. Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the lasting technological change brought about by the pandemic and how technology can potentially help solve the other challenges facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me as ever is my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee. Now, our guest today is a well-respected international influencer on helping kids live happier, healthier lives. She has touched the lives of thousands of families across America with her ability to connect and help kids experience success from challenging behaviors and circumstances. With a doctorate in educational leadership and nearly 20 years of experience in education as a teacher, assistant principal and principal, she is highly regarded as an educational game changer. She has deployed the power of technology and the power of mindfulness to alleviate the problems children have faced during the pandemic and will continue to face moving forward. So I'd like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Karin Chakubovsky, or as she's known in digital circles, Dr. J. Karin, how are you this morning? I'm doing awesome. It's great to see you. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. No problem at all. I'm, I'm as I ask all of my guests, Karen, where are you enjoying the great indoors from today? From Delaware, here on the East Coast. It's a beautiful sunny day, getting cool for the fall weather, but um, nice and sunny, wonderful start to our weekend. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, the sun is out where I am. I think it's a bit brisk there, but it's nice to have some sunshine. It puts us in that vibe. Um, and what have you done recently? Um, you know, we've been locked down for a long time and people are getting back to some sort of uh, level of normality. But what have you done that you haven't done for a while that's given you some joy, some something from the past? So just two weekends ago, I was invited out on a friend's sailboat, a 40-foot sailboat. And the kind of beautiful story behind this is... Um, my music teacher at school, she had met this guy and it was her second marriage. And, um, he had this sailboat and for a couple of years, we had talked about going out on the sailboat together. Cause my husband and I just love the idea of being out on a sailboat, even though we don't have one of our own, but it'd be fun to have one day. Um, but unfortunately my music teacher got breast cancer for the second time around. Um, and she retired early, a, about a year or two ago, year two two and a half years ago, and had the chemo and and did all the work and 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 unfortunately did pass away last November. Um, but I brought it back to my school for the kids to find a way to remember her, and so we put a little focus together with the kids, and we they created this banner for her, and we got a loving memory on the front. Um, porch of the school and we invited her husband in and we kind of reconnected again. And, uh, he, he, he reached out and he was like, do you want to do that sailboat ride that we've talked about for years? And, and we ended up doing it. It was just so invigorating and beautiful. And, um, yeah, it was really special, like on multiple levels. And then just a reminder that every day is so precious. You never know 
you know, you say you're going to do something sometimes and there's just a reminder, like, just, just go and do it. Cause do you, it. you don't know when, when you might do it. So yeah. I know that was more than what you asked for, but it, it, was, it was a really special moment for us. Yeah, it's nice. That sounds wonderful. That sounds wonderful. Now, Karen, we're going to talk about education um, today and we're going to talk about mental health and we're going to talk about mindfulness. And we have talked about education in the past on this podcast and we, we took it from a student's perspective, right? And it was right in the early days of the lockdown and everything that they had to adapt to. But you're, you're a principal um, of a school, um, right, Karen? So how prepared, we, you know, were you prepared? What, what was it? What happened on the ground when you initially went into lockdown? How quickly did you have to adapt? So the the Friday of the day we went home and didn't return, that entire week, everything had been building up to, you know, something might happen. Maybe we won't, we'll, we'll be shut down or maybe we'll go home. And you know what is so bizarre that that in the state of Delaware, the governor and or the superintendents didn't come out with that message until literally we had gone home that Friday night and got a message we wouldn't be coming back. So it, it was crazy. Even that day, I remember looking at people going, this is so weird. It's like all of a sudden we might get the call that like, we're not going to be here, but there was no call made. And so it was just such an awkward day at the end of that week. And then to get that message and just know that like everything sort of stopped for us. And um, it was, it, I think we were all just in shock, like, because we hadn't been here before and what do we do and what does this look like? And so it was a lot of like scrambling to figure out how do we stay connected with kids and not knowing what we were doing um, and, and be at such a loss where usually in your craft, you know exactly what you're doing, you're prepared, you know what's going on. And all of a sudden, everyone felt like a first year teacher again. And that is a really difficult feeling for experienced 20 plus year veteran teachers. Oh, exactly. And I remember, you know, from my perspective and with, with my children, then on the following Monday, them trying to figure out how do we do this remote learning thing. And obviously, from the children's perspective, we, we've talked about that. But for, I remember from the teacher's perspective, it was really hard. It was all of a sudden, uh, you need to come off mute. Uh, can you go on mute? Uh, speak up. Stop. I don't know. Oh, where did you go? Where did you go? And it was just like chaos because nobody was prepared from a to have to sort of auto, go into this new world um so you know so quickly but how did your students adapt uh to remote education and and having to embrace you know the video conferencing world the zoom world and all the challenges that that go with it yeah so in that march april well what was it march we were out for two weeks and then the two weeks turned to the month and then the six weeks um so individual teachers just sort of figured out like, okay, you know, some of my fifth graders were like, okay, let's set up a meeting, you know, a Zoom meeting, like every day with our kids. Awesome. Great. Well, fifth graders navigate that quite better than your kindergarten and first graders staring at a screen, not knowing what, what button, mm -hmm. what, who, where, what, what are you looking at? <laughs> yeah. um, so we found our fourth and fifth grade teachers like getting into routine, like, yeah, we can meet every day for our kids. We can even break into small groups. And I think they, they latched onto that much quicker and easier. And God bless my little K-1-2 friends, you know, with the teachers, because it was just a lot with 20 kids' pictures on a screen um, and the mute and the unmute um, and the time of day, because then parents were trying to figure out how they're still working and having my child on a Zoom. And, and they struggled because they, they could navigate that world at the same time either and had never had to. Um, and so and so like a couple weeks in, we got to a point where some teachers had like one Zoom a week, other teachers had like daily Zooms and and then parents were like, wait, I want daily Zoom. And so we as a school had to kind of come to an agreement, like let's create some schedule. So parents with multiple kids and only maybe one device could actually have their kids go on and access their teacher at least once. So we kind of had to pull back, which made it feel like we were doing less, but because we had to just, just at least establish a schedule that every class has at least one opportunity that's not crossing a grade level. So that was unique for us that we would have never thought of before. Yeah. And you raised a really good point there, Karen, that takes me back was, you know, when it all happened, it exposed, I wouldn't call it the digital divide, but you know, for, for our, my four children, there were two laptops that they could use. Right. So they're fighting over these two things. 
uh, the bandwidth of, pe of people's internet connection all of a sudden just evaporated. Uh, and so all these technical things were getting thrown up as well. Um, and, and you taught there how you coped as a, 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 as a school and how the teachers came together to work out um, you know, how to do a schedule and to get into a rhythm. And I found with the second lockdown that happened, because here in Ontario, the children went back to school in 2020, and then they were locked down again shortly after Christmas. But things were very different. There were Chromebooks for all the children. There were initiatives to make sure they had the right internet connections. The teachers had become IT super beings overnight, or their skills had certainly increased. So do you, you know, so everything became it was you know much much better the second time around so do you think the overall appreciation and ability to use these new types of technology obviously it improved did it did you see that improvement and did you see the benefits that that could bring as you went further into the lockdown situation yes and you know we we complained a lot at the beginning what is this how do I navigate that? And then someone would come up with a pair deck and it, it felt like one more thing to have to learn to navigate that could be a good system to use, you know, virtually. But over time, as the teachers adapted and as our incredible grade level teams realized, let's build a grade level website. So it's a one-stop shop for oh, a parent nice. at that grade. We, we work smarter, not harder, put all our resources as a team on there because as a teacher, you do it individually. So there was actually more... Uh, of, of my teams, I found working together, smarter, not harder, coming up with a common, how are we going to educate the grade level, not just me alone as my teacher in the grade. And then through the summer and into the beginning of, of the fall of 2020, we found teachers, experienced veteran teachers who were not tech savvy, say things like, I have gotten more technology, technologically advanced from this COVID shutdown than I would have ever before in such a rapid pace of time because yeah. it forced us to. So as yeah. much as we were complaining and griping and groaning that we weren't trained for this, we didn't go to school for this, now we're expected to X, Y, Z. And that was a real struggle for us as we we slowly learned and, and it was slow a slow process and we all were on a continuum of learning different programs, Pear Deck, things like that, Flipgrid and all that. Um, over the summer and then finally into September when every kid had their own Chromebook device, the district yeah. said, here's the amount of time you're going to use in each subject remote because we started the first six weeks of the school remote. We slowly were starting to, it, it was it was becoming more manageable. And it was funny because when we came back into school in November and then had a quarantine case um, for a grade level or a class, when I would check in with the teachers, this is what they would say. Unfortunately, I really know what to do now when we go remote, like if, if they had to go 10 days remote. And so what what seemed such a mountain before, and you know what, I don't even know if pre-COVID, we would have made this shift in education. Um, who knows when we would have made some of these advances. And because of the grade level work that they created in these websites and platforms of like Schoology, now the teachers were saying, you know what, when we come back to school in person, we're going to keep this because now we've created pockets of resources for kids to use and access when we're teaching a small group and I need them independent working on a skill X, Y, and Z. So it totally advanced some things that it forced it, we needed it, and we wouldn't have known to create that solution had we not faced that problem. That's, that's such a brilliant point. It's such a brilliant point because you've come together uh, under a crisis situation, innovated, and you, you've had this propulsion of digital adoption amongst your entire staff and, and students, right? Which is one of the, if there can be any, positive externalities or byproducts that's come out of this whole pandemic. And we've seen across so many different other industries this digital vault forward in time right that and, and i think we're going to talk about it a little bit later on but you know that that does make everybody more tech savvy more open to tech innovation and that could be you know positive you know uh, in in the future so let's switch gears a little bit because i want to talk about mental health um karen and i found some really interesting stats now the first thing I'd say is when I look at, and, and I'll read these stats out. So, you, you know, I, I looked at these and I was 
um, just absolutely gobsmacked when I saw this. This was a research paper um, here in Ontario for the hospital for sick children. And it showed that during that first wave that we were referencing there, when things were just completely crazy, um, a large majority of children and youth experienced harm to their mental health. So there was greater stress from social isolation, including both the cancellation of important events and the loss of in-person um, social interactions. And that was strongly associated with mental health deterioration, something that we'd never seen before. And, and this research team surveyed more than 1,000 parents of children and youth aged between 2 and 16 years of age and nearly 350 of, uh, uh, sorry, and another 350 between 10 and 18 years of age from April to June of 2020. And across the six domains of mental health, depression, anxiety, irritability, attention span, hyperactivity, and obsession compulsions, 71% of those children had a rapid or reported deterioration in at least one of those domains. So I, I spent a bit of time sort of just reading those out verbatim, but it's shocking, those numbers, um, uh, the, the effect of the pandemic on the youth, uh, on, on, on young people's um, mental health. But what did, did you, how did you, did you see this? I mean, obviously you saw this, but how, how did this manifest itself? How do you spot this? Because you're working um, w with these children every day. What, what was it that, that you saw? So when we went remote from that May to June, the evidence that we saw was little because the only thing we saw where this would indicate was kids not turning their screens on. Kids having their screens on, but never saying a word, being asked a question, asked to engage and just completely mute. And when we would circle back to the parent and be like, hey, how's it going? We notice either their camera's off, either they're not there or they're there, but they're not participating. Those parents would be like, my kid absolutely hates Zoom. Like they don't want to do it. They don't want to be there. I can't get anything to flip a switch to be like, hey, it's it's the per you can you can talk, like you can listen. And so that was probably the the, the limited view that we had of kids, because other than that Zoom connection we kind of didn't, weren't in touch with them in a sense. And so then when we started the year remote, we had those grave concerns because of the kids who really struggled on it. And then as we went into this, the school year, six weeks remote, um, I had started a mindfulness with Dr. J YouTube channel. And I um, actually over the summer, before we came back those six weeks remote, I'd never done this as a principal. I created a weekly video for the kids and staff and the parents, just, hey, how's it going? You know, I don't even remember what I would make up that day. It wasn't much, but I would always add a little mindfulness lesson or a moment of breath to just calm and take care of ourselves. And I got so much feedback and the kids, they really, they loved it. They looked forward to it. Hey, when's your video coming out? And so when those six weeks started remote for the announcements, I'd create a video for the teachers to show. And families would say, we would sit down as an entire family and watch Dr. J and do your, your lesson with you. And so I found that something I'd never done through technology helped me connect with those kids in a way that we had never before to the point where when we came back in school, Kids would say, I watched your video. I saw you on my, you know, my dad's phone. And, and there was actually more of an excitement and connection that I had with kids because of that than I felt like I'd ever experienced as a principal. It was a very unique, e even now kids are like, oh, when they hear I'm coming to the classroom, they're like, is she going to do mindfulness? <laughs> like now, now I'm like kind of like known for that. And I think that helped kids. Um, and then even when we started school, um, some Zoom, it actually, parents were reporting, it worked better for them than being in person. It was less anxious than being in a class and raising your hand and not knowing the answer. And, and even one third grader said to their mom, I really like Zoom. I feel like I can concentrate better and focus more. A third grader, like really eight, nine years old can self-report that. So it was incredible that as much as you saw some kids really struggle with it, some kids actually did so much better and surprised their parents how well they were doing organizing their work and showing up for online Zoom because 
parents had a choice. So in November, when you had the choice to send your kid to school in person or remain remote, 200 of our kids chose remote, 400 were in person. And so we had teachers remote, teachers in person, and we navigated the whole year that way. Mm-hmm. But, and I think, I mean, that's, it, it, it is amazing. And we're going to get, we're going to go deep into mindfulness um, in a moment. But I think this is something that Larissa and I were discussing. And, and I think when we took, look at this mental health pandemic that was compounded by COVID, but I think even pre-COVID, children have it harder today than, for example, when I was growing up at school in the 1980s, right? Um, and I, 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 and I had this discussion, what made me anxious? I actually enjoyed school and, uh, um, and everything, but what worried me when I was in the 1980s? And, and weirdly enough, the, the only thing I remember that made me anxious at that age was the fear of nuclear war, you know, because there was the Cold War was going on. You always had to watch these weird educational videos about what to do if the school got hit by a nuclear bomb or something. And that terrified me for for like, a year but when you think about even pre-covid children have to worry about climate change i mean i asked my uh my one of my daughters my 10 year old daughter what's the one thing that worries her she says climate change in the environment they have to worry about the the somebody wandering into the school with a firearm they have to worry about the division in society that, you know, and social media compounds all of these things as well. So even COVID aside, I guess the point I'm getting to, children have it harder these days. There's more pressure and anxiety for children than there was, for example, for us when we were at elementary school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is my 11th year as an administrator. I started as an assistant principal, you know, now I'm the principal. And in those 11 years, literally every year, every two years, I would look at my school psychologist and say, the mental health of needs of these kids is rising and increasing every year. Like this was pre-COVID. We were observing this. And I kept thinking to myself, like, when is the state going to give us more family crisis therapists or um, school counselors or mental health professionals who are experts in this in this area? You're asking teachers who have been trained to teach academically to be the healthcare provider, the mental health facilitator, the social emotional supporter, feel like a mom, therapist, guidance counselor. Oh, and get all your academics in too, please. And then one of, one of our... Um, one of the things I see kids struggle with the most is the weather. So all of a sudden now in Delaware, we started having tornado warnings. We hadn't experienced that. And then we had a shelter in place. And now we have a practice of shelter in place. So all of a sudden now, even weather related things, we're getting kids, you know, upset, scared, worried, frustrated, you know, thinking that, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to us if, if, if a tornado comes um, and the lockdown drills now that we do twice a year and the fears that came with all of that. I mean, you're right. It's it's it, it was more than we had seen, and it kept rising. And then COVID hit, and now you have anybody looking for a therapist these days is has a really hard time finding them. Like they're they're all maxed out. It's it's like slim to nothing available. If you you now need want your child to see um, an outside therapist, um, from from what I've been seeing and experiencing and noticing. No, it's it, it it's it definitely is is something that that. Yeah, it seems to get worse every year. And even, you know, social media doesn't help at all. I mean, social media, again, accentuates all those issues that, that we just discussed. And even so much the recent report about Instagram and the algorithms that were affecting the mental health of young girls were faced with the things that they see on Instagram. Do you think social media is a problem as well when it comes to young people's mental health, Karen? Yes. And now I'll, I see it more with maybe our fifth graders. And even when I started my YouTube channel, it was very interesting because I had a fifth grader actually create my YouTube channel. He was very instrumental. He would do my videotaping for me. He's the one pretty much that launched it for me. It, it This all came out of kids, which was, I just absolutely love that. And then it was funny because when I would talk to a fourth grader, they wouldn't be ones that would say, and this is just in my school that I can speak to, could be different elsewhere. I didn't find my fourth graders as much on YouTube in the last two years, maybe even in a year that might've changed. 
Um, but about two years ago when I started the first YouTube channel, but I found my fifth graders, they would say things like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go home and watch my, watch, watch a YouTube video. I'm going to go home and, and, and hide under the covers. And I like to sit there and watch. And, and it was very interesting. So I think, and some of the experiences we had with kids, um, getting unfortunate kind of, um, bully slash picked on through, through social media. That was more uh, once in a while from our fifth grade population, and and it's hard because it's it's easier to type something than say it to someone's face in person. It's e- easier to post a video or like something from the privacy of your own home where no one is in 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 your you know your exact sphere. I mean, we find that as adults, nine times out of ten, when a parent emails me, I pick up the phone and call them. Why? Because when I respond in an email, it can sound so different than the heart and feeling and empathy that I'm really trying to invoke. And and sometimes it creates more work for me, but in the long run, run it's an investment. I even had a parent who, who had a concern emailing me. And when I picked up the phone, they literally were like, oh, I can't believe you called me because we kind of have moved away from that. And um, there's a lot to be said for what you say in, in person and how you say it. And I think social media creates that curtain that it's easy to just hide behind and say. And then once you bring it out in the open and that child really hears how that made them feel what you did or said, wow, that that other child is like, oh, like it, it's just so serious now because they're like, wow, I didn't realize you would feel or think that because I said this or that. And um, so I, I think that's the disadvantage to the whole social media platform. And and I mean, I, I interviewed two high school schoolers on my podcast and they were like, it's the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning, we check our social media feed and, and, and it just triggers all this emotion. Who said, what was, was I involved? Who, who did or didn't say something positive or negative about me? And, and, and we know that's not healthy for us to live in that fight or flight zone. It eventually will cause a dis-ease, a disease in our bodies. And so I think there's so much more talk around this to help protect kids and plan for it carefully so you don't exhaust yourself mentally socially physically emotionally physically through what could or couldn't be out there on on the social media feeds we tend on this podcast to give social media a hard time right we 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 tend to see the bad in it but there is good in it as well there are things that can be harnessed and i think you've done this karen with with your youtube channel which we're going to talk about now which promotes mindfulness and is a platform to get to to children that uh, that that, uh, that need some help or, or or just want to learn more about it but i think the story on how you started all of this how you became involved with this we'll, we'll talk about now and it was influenced by the book by louise hay right i think i am Tell us that story, if you could, Karen, and how that then led to the YouTube channel and the whole the whole thing you've got going on. Because it's, I think it's a great story. So when I was assistant principal, one of my last years with my principal before she moved to another school, she had gone to some training and came back with this idea of positive affirmations using the finger point touches with your finger, like you put your first your thumb to your first finger and then your second finger for each word you say in the affirmation. So she would teach the kids sometimes on the loud announcements, sometimes through a read aloud, like let's just um, do some positive affirmations together. So I am peaceful. And she would have them put their fingers together and they would say the affirmation with her. And so we got into kind of this habit of practicing um, these positive affirmations. And then um, the following year, she had moved to another school. And one of my paraprofessionals um, gave me a CD called 101 Positive Affirmations by Louise Hay. And I put it in my CD player driving home. And it was all these positive affirmations that you're telling yourself, like, um, now I'm making them up because I can't remember them all. But like, whatever I'm going through today, uh, the good is going to happen. I'm going to experience the good. I'm going to feel the good. No matter what someone is is saying or doing to me, I'm going to take the message of, you know what? I am wonderful. I am in a good place. Everything is well with me. It was things like that. And she just goes through these 101 things. I would listen to it all the way home. And all of a sudden, by the time I got home, I wasn't thinking about the parent that was upset with something I did or said, the kid that's really struggling, that I'm racking my brain. How can I help them? And I don't have an answer at the moment. Maybe my teacher who you know is dealing with something that's really challenging and, and it's hard not as the principal to take the weight of that. 
And all of a sudden, it was lifting me above all the things that just can weigh on you. And let's just say in life in general, you don't have to be like some, you know, owner of a company and experience this. This is just everyday life for us. And so I, I realized that these affirmations were helping me. They were changing my mindset, lifting me above the situation, helping me have a positive outlook on the day where things would just like kind of run me down. Well, then um, the same paraprofessional was like, look at this picture book for kids Louise Hay wrote. And I'm like, what is it? And if any parent is listening or anyone who knows anyone with kids, I highly recommend this book. I, if I could, I'd go on to raise money to get a, a book for every kid in the world. It's called, I Think I Am. And it takes ordinary situations like I always forget something. And there's a picture of the kid leaving his sweater somewhere. And instead say to yourself, um, you know what? I may, I might make a mistake, but I'm going to move on. And it teaches kids, like if someone doesn't want to play with you on the playground, stop and say to yourself, I am loved. And it flips the negative thoughts that our mind traditionally goes to that just kind of take us down. And it helps kids reframe the situation to actually like take care of their self in a way mentally. Um, and so I started reading this picture book in classrooms as a read aloud and doing these affirmations. Well, then one day when I was in a fourth grade class, at the end, the, the kid goes, Dr. J, you should really read one of those on the announcements every day. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I love that you came up with that idea. And B, I'm totally, totally starting that tomorrow. And so from that day on, that entire year, we would start, we would do my normal announcements and then I'd say, all right, here's our positive affirmation. I am grateful. Okay, let's say that together. I am grateful. And for a whole year, we started that. And then we uh, heard of a mindfulness coach at a nearby elementary school. And my school counselor was like, we totally have to get this person into our school. So we, we put a grant together, some of our building budget, and we piloted it just in our first grade for like six weeks and that year. And this was where I had teachers who initially were like, what is this and why are we doing it? And yeah, I'm not too, you know, into this. No worries. The coach comes in. You're just listening. You don't really have to do anything. At the end of those six weeks, the kids were going home telling their parents what they were learning, which you can't even get a kid to tell you what they learned at school that day. And the teachers, especially that one was like, um, Karen, I'm using this for my kids now, and I'm actually using it for myself. And it's through a program called Mindful Schools, and they offer courses. And the following year, I offered the first level course to any of my teachers who wanted to take it. We had about seven of them sign up. And then we hired this coach for to teach it to all the kids. So she came in for eight weeks, once a week, 15 minutes, and she taught them lessons using their senses, all about noticing sound, noticing what you see noticing your breath, teaching us some ball breath, finger breath activities. And I was just watching this. And at the end of this, this these eight weeks, she had done a pre and post survey with our second through fifth graders. 40% of the kids said it helped them sleep better at night. I was like, are you serious? Get out. If I can have one kid sleep better, I'll do anything. Um, 80% said this should be taught to other kids. Kids thought this should be taught to other kids, not just, is this helping you? And all of a sudden, my eyes were just totally being open to this area of something that could be a proactive intervention that we could provide to kids. I had been for years waiting for the state to give us more, more supports and they weren't coming. And I just kept getting frustrated. And all of a sudden, that was the game changer for me. I was like, wait a second this, I, I can do this with these kids. So I ended up taking the second course for the educator course to learn the lessons, get the lessons. I started teaching it to the kids to keep the work going um, to the point where even a fifth grader who had been taking a test, they had learned in one of the lessons. If you're taking a test and you don't know, and you're frustrated and you, you kind of get, start getting upset because you don't know the answer, take your three deep breaths, go back to it. And he self-reported that he was able to like do a great job finishing his test where he had gotten frustrated. So I started creating little videos on this YouTube channel with this fifth grader that I started, Mindfulness with Dr. J, because we say we do mindfulness, but what in the world does that look or mean? And so I, I wanted the parents to start to get a look into this. And that's right when COVID hit, we all went home. And one of my first, one of, my, one of the next videos I had posted on YouTube was me doing the announcements 
from my bedroom <laughs> against a wall doing a lesson from mindfulness because what that was what we knew to do. And it got like some 900 views. A secondary assistant principal was like, I'm telling my kids to watch your video. Why? Because it's something to give them a tool where we had no idea what the next moment held. I, I think it's such an amazing um, story, Karen. And, you know, I think mindfulness for me is something, and, and I, I've started meditating just in the last year. It's something that's helped me. But I think the story, and I'm a, so I'm a huge advocate of it. And I think the way that you've propagated it through the school, the way that you've managed to onboard the parents and other teachers and other institutions is just incredible. And the results, it's not just something for a bit of fun. You're seeing tangible, meaningful results, right? So it, it, I think it just goes without saying. So you've, you've started your YouTube channel now, Mindfulness with Dr. J., and and what other techniques of mindfulness do you deploy on that YouTube channel? So I, I haven't been using the YouTube channel as much anymore because then I got into creating my another YouTube channel called Educational Impact Academy. And and now I've been focusing a lot of my work also creating a podcast just this past February called Momnificent because parents with kids who are struggling and and and, and have behavior challenging moments. I, I noticed they were coming up at a loss of like what to do and feeling so alone. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. So so as much as this, this mindfulness was starting to take care of like some mental health needs of kids, and I'm going to go as far as to say is it's taking care of mental health needs of our kids in our school that we didn't even know had an issue. Like this mindfulness lessons we teach, that kid on the struggling test, to my knowledge, doesn't have an anxiety issue, but this helped him. And yes, this program is supporting and helping all of our kids with anxiety or, or to monitor their stress and help them self-regulate, which is a powerful tool. Um, but then, so then when COVID hit and we went home and had a little more time than we normally would, because we were all home, I actually started working with a company to teach me how to build a podcast how to create maybe like a free webinar for parents to teach them a some of these strategies and some collaborative problem solving strategies I've done with kids in school over the years, um, and so some of some of my mindfulness with Dr. J has gotten a little quieter um, because I've now focused since February some of, more of my time on on this podcast to bring in authors, doctors, lawyers, former heads of school students talking about mindfulness, ADHD, autism, anything to help educate a mom on the run, on the go, working full time. But give me a little piece of knowledge and wisdom that maybe I could shift something today that improves the quality of my relationship and 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 life with my kids, and that's the whole purpose of it. And and it's it's just been exciting and inspiring. The guests that I've met and the feedback that I've gotten from parents. We've talked about what happened to children and to, the, to, to educators and parents when we went into lockdown. We looked at the separate pandemic of mental health that did exist pre-COVID, but was accelerated and amplified by the COVID situation. And I think your story, why I find it so amazing, Karen, is that you've innovated, you've found a solution that has demonstrable results, and then you've used technology to propagate it, promote it, and, and, and it's, it's a solution to the problem. And I think it's a really important solution and something that all educators all over the world should look at mandating. I, I really do feel that strongly about it. And, and it reminds me now, uh, this is the, the changing face of, of education, I think, as a whole. And when we spoke with Randy Zuckerberg a couple of weeks ago, one of the things we discussed, we were talking about diversity and inclusion. And we both reminisced to our school years, which was around 30, 35 years ago, where, you know, boys and girls did different things at school. The boys went into a woodwork class. The girls went into a needlework or a home economics or a cooking class. And we both remarked at how primitive that was, right? Yeah, and that was only th now, now there's a lot more. Uh, uh, equality and, and people have, uh, you know, regardless of your gender, you, you, you can choose what you want to do. But here's, here's another thing that I, I picked up on when, when we look at these, only in this, the period of 35 years, 
when I and this and, and I don't mean to humorize this at all or or, or, or or to make it lighthearted, but this is a reality. When I was at school, if you got sent to the headmaster's office or the principal's office, headmaster in the UK, because you'd done something wrong, and I'm thankful to I was a good kid. I never got sent to the headmaster's office once, uh, if my mother and father are listening. Um, but it could be a very traumatic experience. I mean, very traumatic. Even in the 1980s, the headmaster, if you were sent there, d- dependent on what you could do, could physically hit you with a stick. Right? I mean, that is in my lifetime. You, in the United Kingdom, you would be hit with a stick for misbehaving. And when you think about it, and, and even in those days, mental health issues or, or, or learning um, disabilities amongst children would go unnoticed. And it was those children that were more often than not sent to the headmaster's office and were then physically assaulted, right? Which wouldn't do anybody any good. And when you think about it, how primitive is that? It's crazy. Now, you're a principal, uh, current People have to come to your office for various things, but you have an entirely different approach, right? That's not always possible. And I, I'd like you to take us through that because, again, I think it illustrates the dichotomy just in one generation of how education and how the educational system is advancing. Yes. So on the flip side, I was not a good kid when I was younger. <laughs> I, I don't believe it. I don't believe and no, it. Nobody can believe it. <laughs> I lied. I stole things. I cheated on tests. This was in elementary school. Like, I mean, thank God I got myself together by the time middle and high school. I know Larissa's like, you're kidding me. You're making that up, Karin. No, I'm not. This is crazy. And as a kid, I hated the feeling that would come across, come, come inside me, the feelings that would come up when I was in trouble and adults would say and do things that would make me feel worse. I already felt bad. And, and the way I interpreted it was that I was bad to my core. And as I grew up, I um, never wanted to treat kids that way. And so, you know, when I became a teacher, I, I, I really was careful in what I said and how I treated them because I knew how that felt. And I never wanted a kid to feel that. And I really believed that when you did something wrong, even if you didn't look like you were remorseful or say something that I knew you were remorseful, as hard as that is sometimes for adults to to kind of get that communication from a child, I, I believed they were already feeling bad and I wasn't the one who was supposed to make them feel worse. And so I had some struggling kids in school, some with um, special needs, and they would react or respond in class and I didn't know how to help them. I couldn't really like connect with them. I couldn't figure out why they were doing what they were doing. One would hide in, in the clothes in the little cubby. One would shut down and just wouldn't do their work. Um, so I would have lunch with them to try to connect with them, like to figure out what makes them tick to help them get through this year and do what kind of we have to do. And, and I really had a hard time and I never felt like I really, really got to the bottom of why that kid did what they did and how I, what I could do to support them as much as the behavior coach would come in and she would give me feedback and I'd be, I'd try it and didn't always feel successful. And, and then I would feel like it was my problem, you know? Um, but then when I was a, pro, a problem study, child study team facilitator, they always come up with all these words. Basically, in two elementary schools in Delaware, in public schools, I was hired to meet with teachers who had kids who were struggling that didn't qualify for a 504, didn't qualify for an IEP, because usually you can create some like supports that kind of help them get through school in, in some specific way. So there was these pocketed kids that like, maybe it was like second functioning behavior, just wouldn't bring their, their, their school bag to school. They wouldn't do their homework. And, and we were like, what do we do with these kids? And then I went to a training with Dr. Stuart Ablon out of Harvard. He came to Delaware, met with six school districts and talked about this collaborative problem-solving approach, a very positive approach with empathy, problem-solving, identifying maybe there's a, a lagging skill the kid has that you have to teach them. And his whole tagline was, all kids do well if they can. And I was like, yes, 
I believe that. And everything he said just synced with what I really believed about kids as difficult as it could be in a moment of a challenging behavior for them. And so I really studied his work. The district had us do like connect calls with him. We did a little bit more training. And I read a book called Lost at Schools that talks about the process in depth. And I really just just soaked it up entirely and started practicing the, the processes and procedures he was teaching to go through with a kid to get them to really tell you what's really going on. And a lot of times kids won't say what they're, what's really going on. You look at them and you're like, why did you do that? They just shrug their shoulders or say, I don't know. And this process, as I started doing it, no, it wasn't perfect at first. And yes, it took time like anything. There wasn't a magic switch. It didn't just automatically happen for me. But because I didn't give up on it, when I became an assistant principal and continued this process, I would have a kid who like, here's a, here's a simple example. The, the custodian was like, a kid peed on the wall and we found one kid went there. Well, how are you going to get that kid to admit that? But through this process, and I'm not saying it might work every time, but in that situation, it was a beautiful picture of using empathy, an empathetic tone of voice, not talking down to the kid, not not raising my voice, not not putting them in a position of I'm me and you are you and how could you do this? And, and, And a beautiful question that they teach you to use, which says like, what's up with that? And you just wait this impregnable pause and you wait some more. And when they shrug their shoulders and say, I don't know, you ask this beautiful question that they teach you that says, if you did know, what would you say? And the kid just stares at you like, who are you and where have you come from? Because no one's ever treated me like that. And I would use this process. And in that situation, that kid actually admitted to peeing on the wall, where when I called his mom, she was like, I don't believe it. My kid would never do that. And I was like, honey, I need you to come tell your mom what happened. And he told her, And she wouldn't even have believed me. Um, And so, I mean, time and time again, some of our kids with just really difficult moments, I would use this process and, and, and it, and because of it, I, I created a connection with them because I really believe in connection before you correct. And so during those years as assistant principal, I would have lunch once a week with all the kids who were the high flyers of behavior referrals, and we would eat lunch together. We would play Uno just to give them one fun time in their day because God bless you when you go back to class. Some For some reason, everything you do is wrong. You need to improve. You shouldn't have. You had to. And I and I, I believe in that connection. And so I, I would play Uno with them. And then if they ended up in my office at some point, I'd be like, now you and I both know each other by now. And, and I would come from that premise. I mean, sometimes I say, I know, you know, I love you, but I know some people are like really funny about that, but, but they knew that I cared about them. And then when I had to really tell them like, this is how it's going to be, or this is your consequence because this is part of life. Um, I saw those kids um, slowly make changes for the good. And I believe at the core of this process, you, because of it, you could change the trajectory of a kid's life. Because we all, unfortunately, can remember when a teacher said something that really, you know, hurt us kind of like deep down to the core. And I don't believe it has to be that way. And I've seen it completely help these kids who, you know, for the life of them, maybe they had a disability that no one had even identified yet, but we didn't have to treat them like they were the bad kid till we got through what problem needed to be solved or the skill that needed to be taught. No, that's that's absolutely absolutely amazing, and and, it, and it's a beautiful story, Karen. And yeah, I mean, again, looking at, the, at, at how and and some of the things that you're doing and and the methodologies that you're applying, how effective they are, how humane they are. Um, because again, talking about you know the the education system in other countries and different points of time, it, it's completely you know completely different. So. I think that as well, you know, with with the mindfulness. Have you seen when 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 going through the mindfulness practices with children? Not only obviously does it help them cope with anxiety, help them cope with stress. You've seen improvement in their performance and their results, but do their behaviours improve as well? Yeah. So here's an example of <clears throat> a first grader who I don't know why, but <clears throat> would sometimes crawl under his desk refused to go to special. The class would go to recess. Come on, recess. Every kid loves recess. Would refuse, sit at his desk. 
And we would just rack our brains like, what is it? Um, and then one day um, we had done our mindfulness lessons in those classes and another student was having a meltdown because it was something like the whole class got a reward. Somehow he missed it and he was having a hard time. And the other kid says to him, we need to go to Dr. J and do our breathing together. <laughs> well, the teacher brought both of them. <clears throat> and I look at the one kid, I'm like, do you want to do, you know, it looks like we just need a minute to kind of get calm and in control of our body. It's a little tagline I like to use with them. I was like, do you want to do the ball breath together or the finger breath? No, 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 no. Well, I had just recorded a, a video of me just doing both of those on YouTube. So I put my iPad in front of him and I was like, okay, well then let's just watch this video. And all of a sudden the other kid starts doing it. As I'm saying, now put your hands together, take a deep breath, you know, and, and, and then the kid that was crying, he starts doing it. And after this like three and a half minute video, by the end, the kid's like laughing and talking. And, and then we were able to talk about what happened and how he got upset and maybe what we could try differently. Okay. Then let's share this with the teacher. And and I actually then created a video for the YouTube channel saying, this was amazing. This kid was upset. He wouldn't listen to me live in person, but he would watch the video. Like, and all of a sudden I'm like, there's something to this. So I've actually created my mindfulness lesson videos on my Educational Impact Academy website for parents or educators to, to purchase and use, because maybe if you don't think you have the knowledge and skills to do it with your child, you could watch it and use it with them to teach them or a teacher who might be like, oh yeah, I love you, Karn, but one more thing, like, please don't give me one more thing to try to teach and do. Um, they could play it and actually have kids just on their own or put it on a Schoology group where the kids, when they have a breakout session and they need to take their own little mental break, they go in and watch one of the videos. So that's something that I'm actually turning around within my school this year to give them teachers access to it. Haven't done it yet. It's, it's a thought and idea and I need to act on it. You know how that, that goes <laughs> uh, sometimes, but, um, but that's what, that's what I'm thinking of, of next actually. Uh, so that was just incredibly powerful for me. No, it's a really, it's a really heartwarming, really heartwarming story, uh, Karen. And, and again, another example of where you've used innovation and you've used technology and you've used mindfulness techniques to break, you know, to break through the problem. Um, and you know, something we talked about, something, I'm, I, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll close out on some, some technology pieces, but I, we, I downloaded the calm app, the mindfulness app. And literally this week they unleashed or launched calm kids. Right. And I, I, I was looking at it and it's truly amazing. So, you know, we talk about mandating mindfulness in schools and how helpful it can be, but what's your thought on, on these apps that, Children or their parents can download, and, and and I think one of the things is Thomas. You can do meditation with Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> Brilliant! I might try that later on. A bit of uh, Thomas the Tank Engine meditation. But what are your thoughts on on those sort of digital innovations and and how they can impact children? Um, so at first, initially, I would think like, no, it has to be in person. Like it has to be you know something live. Like how 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 is that going to really help? But actually, over the last year, I've seen my teachers use the Calm app in their classroom and talk about how much they love it. My one teacher, it helps her go to sleep at night. Um, and then just showing, watching this shift where the kid in person wasn't going to do the breathing activity with me, but he was going to watch me do it on the device. Like, so something's shifting where it's working for people. And maybe it's that thought that it might not be the best thing for you, but I've seen it work and be beneficial for some people. Um, and so I think that there is a whole world here to explore because I, my husband and I have been thinking like, how can we take what we do and almost create a digital game for kids to go into since that's the world they live in and tap into and do. I mean, how many parents are like, my kid's addicted to the computer games and I can't get them off it. Well, what if we created something that was positive and helping them, whether it was with character education, becoming a good citizen, mindfulness in a world that was digital with avatars. And I mean, that, that kind of is where all those kids are and are living these days as much as I don't want to admit that. And a lot of times I hear teachers still sharing from even a year ago 
The kids are on the devices too much. They're on technology too much. It's not good. It's not healthy. So as much as it's not healthy, it's not good, and we have to monitor it, somehow this is where a lot of us are living to the point where I interviewed Brent Franson last weekend, who created an app most days where adults, as starting as young as 13 years old, can go in and pick one thing they want to do better at, whether it's sleep, exercise, whatever, and they check in and it just is like, yes, I did it today or no, I didn't. And there's nothing wrong with not doing it today. But most days is the whole key that we're going to eventually get there. to work. And it's that online social support group that people are realizing they can't live without. So I think there's an opportunity to give them more of something healthy um, where, where, where it's working for them. And I've even used them myself. Uh, so if, if it's working or it's something you want to explore, if it's helpful, I think that's what you have to gauge for yourself. You, you said something that I see this with my children and, and that, and, and that schooling here, they love their principal. They love their teachers. Yeah. You know, and, and again, when we look at, you know, progression and, and, and the dichotomy of education for me in the eighties, you feared your headmaster, you feared him. You were scared. If, if he was coming down the corridor, you would get out of the way. And the last thing you would ever do is attempt to say hello. <laughs> and and, and, and I, I, I make fun of it now. But I do see this huge leap, this huge leap in, in uh, and I think you're, you're a pioneer, uh, Karen, in, in everything you do to create that environment to really help children, not just educate them, but like we said, this is, these are different times for children these days. There's different stresses. There's different anxieties. And I think what you're doing is absolutely inspiring, innovative, and wonderful, Karen. So, so it's really, really great. Um, so I think we're almost coming towards the end of the session. So should we finish? Let's finish with like doing an affirmation. Set, set us up okay. if, if this is going to help i, I want to give this a shot like i told you i like i'm into my mindfulness now i do a lot of meditation so let's give this a shot and if all our listeners want to participate let, let's do this now okay so i found my favorite one that really launched me into this work from louise and i have to give credit to louise hay so it's three small phrases i am safe in the universe i am safe in the universe and all life loves and supports me. And all life loves and supports me. Life loves me. Life loves me. Excellent. Great. Thank you. That's a, that's a first. That's a first for the great indoors. But I really enjoyed it. And I want to say thank you for joining. And um, if our listeners, I, I'm going to strongly recommend they, they visit your YouTube channel, your podcast, and your website, Karen, but when, where can they find them all if you just want to uh, make reference of that for our listeners? So a good landing page is my website, www.educationalimpactacademy.com, or you can just search for me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Karen Jekabowski, and I'd love to connect with you. And if there's one thing that is a takeaway for you today, um, it's why I do what I do, and it's what gets me up every morning just to help one more child, one more parent, one more educator, and thanks so much. Inspiring isn't really the word, and, and I say this sincerely as a father. Karen's willingness to embrace new tech and techniques, coupled with her passion for education and for children's well-being, is simply amazing. You know, we entrust our children to our respective educational authorities, and with Innovative pioneers like Karen, we can sleep easy knowing that our children are in the capable hands of not just great educators, but amazing, compassionate human beings that put their students' happiness and well-being above everything else. Now, you can find out more about Karen in the show notes and on our new and improved webpage, andocs.com forward the great forward slash rather the great indoors and please subscribe to our podcast on all the usual podcast channels leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined it certainly helps us and check out two other amdocs podcasts that are brilliant and available now the future of tech with abishai charlin and points of view with our cmo gil rosen we'll be back in two weeks and remember our final episode will come live from la check out our webpage uh, for more details
So we'll see you in another two weeks for another edition of The Great Indoors. I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs in Toronto. Have a great day wherever you are.